Welcome to the Life Christian Church Podcast, where our mission is to inspire people to the life God dreams for them as we spread His love in ever-widening circles. Well, good morning, everyone. I also want to welcome our online campus. Thank you for joining us for our Sunday worship experience. Uh, If we haven't met, my name's Ryan Moore. I'm the pastor of care here at the Life Christian Church, and continue to pray for Pastor Terry and his wife Sharon. They're in a season of just getting some refreshment. Uh, They'll be back next week, so we look forward to seeing them. Today, we officially launch our new series, Behind the Curtain, The Breakthrough of Lent. A story is told about a college professor, an atheist, who gave a lecture denying the existence of God. He cited book after book, scholar after scholar, and other written articles to prove that there is no God. The story continues that after the lecture, a man stood up eating an apple and asked the question, this apple that I'm eating, tell me, is it sweet or is it sour? The professor replied, how should I know? I've not tasted that apple. To this, the man said, I know that there is a God because I have tasted him. The passage of scripture today is a living testimony of our lasting relationship with God. We we come to a passage in the book of Hebrews that is considered difficult. One of the reasons for the difficulty is we bring preconceived theology to the text and not knowing what to do. Rather than letting the scriptures teach us, we have the tendency to start off with our belief system and then don't know what to do when the scriptures say something contrary to that belief system. Another reason this passage in Hebrews is considered difficult is because it becomes disconnected to the prior paragraph. I'm referring to today's passage in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4 through 12. Pastor Christian did an amazing job last week unpacking for us Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, all the way to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 3. And there the writer of of Hebrews charged the Christians in, in this particular book of being dull of hearing. He's telling them that I want to go on to deeper things, but they're lazy listeners and they they don't want to grow. So rather than being teachers, they still need someone to teach them the basic principles of Christ's teaching. They're unskilled in the word of righteousness. And so his solution to them is to move them past the basics. He says, stop retracing the teachings that you know and go on to maturity. We see that in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. Now the writer is going to express to them why going on to maturity and leaving the spiritual milk is so critically important. The writer of Hebrews is a Jewish Christian. He's addressing other Jewish Christians who are enduring a time of terrible persecution. Does the writer of Hebrews consider it possible that this audience that he's talking to could deny their faith publicly? Absolutely. Does he understand that uh, they could say, I'm I'm a faithful Jew, but then also say and consider themselves a Christian in secret? Or could they totally reject their faith and turn their back on Jesus? And so the answer to that is absolutely yes. So the author gives gives the Hebrews and us a warning today that growing in spiritual maturity keeps us persevering in our relationship with Jesus. So the first point that we understand today is that we must heed God's warning. 
There's a warning here for us. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4 through 6, in the NIV version, says this. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. The first word in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4, that stands out is the word impossible. It's an abrupt word. The sentence totally would be, for it is impossible. And this sentence should immediately grab our attention, as it would for these recipients as well. So what, what's impossible? The author leaves us in suspense for a moment, and then he describes who he's talking about next. The description the author is concerned about, the people that he's concerned about, is found in verses 4 through 6. Listen to the description. They have once been enlightened. They've tasted the heavenly gift. They've shared in the Holy Spirit. They've tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. Let's break that down. They were enlightened. This, this ancient Greek word has the, the same meaning as the English word. It describes the experience of light shining on someone, of a, a new light shining on the mind and in the spirit. And this term means not only did they hear the gospel, not only did they learn the gospel, they understood the gospel. He also says that they tasted. What did they taste? They taste the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. And so this certainly points to a, a genuine spiritual experience. These are not strangers to the gospel or to the church. These are people who have been under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, who have experienced some degree of blessing through the grace of God and his closeness that they have with him and intimate contact and genuine fellowship with other believers. Perhaps they were healed spiritually, physically, maybe emotionally, and they understand God at work. They have heard the word of God. They've come to taste. They've come to feel. They've come to enjoy something of his power, the beauty and the truth of the gospel. But he also says they're partakers of the Holy Spirit. This is a very unique term in the New Testament since it means sharing with the Holy Spirit. It has to do with receiving and having fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And so they tasted the, the good word, the good word of God. This means they experienced God's goodness, and not only did they experience it, they saw the goodness of God at work in their lives. And they experienced the powers of the age to come. This is a way to describe God's supernatural power. The writer of, of Hebrews describes here, those who have experienced God's supernatural power. So it's important to see that these people have not simply been taught about God. They've truly experienced the blessings of God. They have tasted the heavenly gift. They have tasted the goodness of God's word. They have experienced God's faithfulness. These are not unbelievers. These are not fake Christians in any sense of the word. These are people who are fully engaged in the Christian experience, they have enjoyed the blessings of being a follower of Jesus. But then the author says something very shocking in verse 6. After tasting the blessings of God and sharing in all that God offers a believer, this person falls away. 
the author leaves no room for this person as someone that is just, we can dismiss. That they had this intellectual engagement with the word or one-time experience and just was like, oh, that's it. I'm good. Now, this person that the author is describing, many try to make this person out to be an unbeliever, unbeliever, but that will not work for us here because what the text says. And the first reason is the description will not allow it. This is a believer who's been enlightened, tasted the heavenly gift, shared in the Holy Spirit, tasted the goodness of God's word and the powers of the age to come. This description won't allow it. There's another reason, too, that the writer of Hebrews is offering this warning. The writer is not talking to people outside of the church. He's talking to people in the pews. He just told them a couple passages earlier that they're dull of hearing. They need to leave behind the elementary principles or elementary teachings of Christ and press on to maturity. He's writing to Christians and offering another warning as he does throughout this book. And he says this, what does verse 6 mean when you put that all together now? It is impossible. Those who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. Well, the difficult passage is best understood in the context of Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, as Christian did a great job last week on. The writer to the Hebrews means that if we retreat back, he's talking to his audience, he's saying if you guys retreat back to Judaism and the religious practices of it, he says all the religious repentance in the world will do you no good. He's saying, retreating from distinctive Christianity into the safe ideas and customs of your former religious experience is to forsake Jesus and essentially crucify him again. This is true for these Christians from a Jewish background since the religious customs of that day most likely included animal sacrifices again for atonement, denying the total work of Jesus Christ. And so we understand today that there's no bull or goat or lamb that can atone for our sins. Why? Because we have the perfect lamb of God in Jesus Christ who took away the sin of the world. That includes my sin and your sin. He is the perfect atonement for all of us. And we, are thank, we thank God today for that. I'm very thankful for that today because as I drove here today, I didn't have a bull in the back of my trunk. Just imagine that, getting pulled over for that. Hey, what's in the back of your trunk? Uh, it's a bull, officer. I'm just going to TLCC to you know, offer my sacrifice. <laughs> Would you like to come with me? <laughs> Would you like to escort me too? <laughs> and so we don't have to deal with that because we have the perfect atonement. In Christ Jesus. And so there's a, a necessary distinction then between falling and falling away. Scripture says, for a righteous man or a righteous woman may fall seven times, but what happens? They get up the eighth, right? A righteous man or a righteous woman may fall seven times, but they will what? Rise again. Proverbs 24, verse 16. In Scripture, Peter fell but he got back up. In scripture, Judas fell away. He departed from Christ completely. There's a difference. 
But there's a principle for us in this. The principle for us here is let's not choose the temporary benefits of this world over the eternal riches of heaven. We have so much that is in Christ. We don't want to disqualify ourselves from those blessings. And so he tells them to press in, press on, keep going, mature in your relationship with Jesus. But then the second point, he illustrates it. The situation is illustrated. We see that in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 7 and 8. The author is going to illustrate this truth so that we can see why those who have fallen away is impossible to bring them back to repentance. In verse 7, he says, Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. So what is he trying to illustrate here? He says rain falls on all kinds of ground, right? But one cannot tell from that alone what kind of vegetation, if any, will appear. The the picture here is not of ground that receives frequent rain, yields life and vegetation, and then loses it. No, the picture is of two different kinds of ground altogether. One responds to the rain. So illustration would be one who receives God's blessings and receives the opportunities by producing bountiful vegetation, while the other is barren and the other one is lifeless, thus condemned. Likewise, people who hear the gospel and respond to the gospel with saving faith bring forth what? Life. Others, however, who sit in the church, hear the truth, are blessed by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, but eventually turn their back on it. It's like a a field that never yields vegetation and thus comes into judgment. The picture is simple. Fruitfulness receives a blessing from God, but thorns and thistles receive a curse. We will all know what kind of ground our heart is in, and the ground of our heart by what? The fruit that is produced. As kindness is coming more out of our heart and love is coming out of our heart and mercy is coming out of our heart and self-control is coming out of our heart, we understand that what? God is at work in our life. It's fruit coming off of our trees of life. And so the author is looking at the fruit of these Christians and is greatly concerned because they're not teachers yet. They're still on milk. They're still in the milk of the word. They're they're babes in Christ. They're still babes. They're not skilled in the the word of righteousness. So he sees them as being easy prey to turn back to the Judaic religious practices. But he gives them hope. I love this this third point that he gives here. He says, know that God sees your work, God sees your love, and God sees your service. Know that God sees your work, God sees your love, and he sees your service. And we'll see this in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. The, the, the writer has a hopeful expectation for these believers. He has a hopeful expectation for his audience. He's a great pastor. He's a great shepherd over his flock. He understands what they're going through. As I read these verses this week, I just thought of, he had the voice of a father. I just remember my dad, anytime I was getting into trouble or doing stuff that I shouldn't be doing, there was a warning. And the warning was always, 
come here, Ryan. And then he, he had this tagline, straighten up and fly right. And I knew, okay, I'm in trouble. There's going to be consequences for this, right? But then he would call me and he'd say, son, son, I say these things because I love you. And this is what the author is bringing here. He's saying, hey, here's the warning. Heed the warning, but you know what? There's hope for you. We see this in verse 9. He says, even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case. He has hope for them. The things that have to do with what? Salvation, he says. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and your love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. I love it because the author here is confident that better things lie ahead regarding their salvation and this group he is teaching and ministering to. He has confidence that these Christians will hear his warning and move forward in Christ, growing in the Lord. And and, and as I read this today as a pastor here at TLCC, I, I fall right here that there's greater things for us as you sit here today. I don't think you're the the group that's falling away. I think you're the group that's pressing in. I think you're the group that's pressing on. I think you're the group that's heeding the warning and what? Maturing in Christ. And this is the encouragement for us today. The second hope he tells us is found in verse 10. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help him. The author of Hebrews understood how difficult it was for this audience. He knew they were beginning to get discouraged in serving the Lord because it seemed like they were being persecuted at every turn. So he encouraged the recipients to continue caring for other believers because by doing so, they were showing love to the Lord. And Jesus says the same thing. In the New Testament book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 25, verse 34 through 40. And in the context, he's talking about what's your expectation of the return of the Lord? And there's going to be rewards for us as believers. So he says this to his disciples in this parable in Matthew chapter 25, verse 34 through 40. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And then Jesus says this in verse 35, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. What is he saying here? Well, I was hungry. You saw someone who was hungry, you fed them. You saw someone who was thirsty, you you gave them a drink. You saw someone didn't have a place or, you know, felt you marginalized, you, you had hospitality towards them. You invited them in. Verse 36, I needed clothes. You clothed me. I was sick. You checked in on me. You looked after me. I was in prison. You came to visit me. Verse 37, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry? When did we feed you? When were you thirsty? When did we give you something to drink? When did we see you, a stranger, invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, 
whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. He said that when we serve others, we are ultimately serving the Lord. The writer of Hebrews goes on to say that when we serve others, God will reward us for our good deeds. Don't misunderstand what he's saying. He's not saying that our salvation is a reward for doing good deeds. He's saying we are saved because God's grace and faith that we have in Jesus Christ. But these rewards are in addition to the salvation we are guaranteed through Christ. What he is saying is that we should persist then in doing what is right, even when it seems like no one notices. Why? Because God notices and one day will reward us for our good deeds. This is good to remember. Why is this good to remember? Because there are many times when it feels like living for the Lord doesn't gain us much. Think about it. There's times where people have lied, cheated, and steal. And they're the ones who seem to what? To have an easier time in life. You may have gone through this in your office or workplace. You're honest with your work. You're honest with your documents. You do the very best job that you can do, and there's others who don't do it. They get promoted, and you get overlooked. Amen. We're tempted to conclude, I don't want to serve God anymore. Man, look, there's people living immoral lives. I'm trying to live for God. I'm trying to live in the wisdom of God and the principles of God and walk in his ways. And it looks like they're just having much, so much fun. Look at them on Instagram. Look at, they pull up, oh, they got a new car. How do you get that? You're, you're struggling with your payments, right? It seems like those who don't even give to the church have all this excess cash to indulge in whatever they want to indulge in. While you're faithful to your tithes, your pledges, and the mission that God is doing here at the church, and it's like, what, what about me, God? I'm your child. I'm your servant. Is there any rewards for obedience? And because of this, it might be tempting to conclude for us that serving the Lord isn't worth the effort. God doesn't reward obedience. And for these Christians that he's talking to, they were dealing with that. They were being persecuted. Their land was being taken away from them for serving God. So they're like, well, I'll just go back to the old ways. But I want you to know our good deeds will be rewarded. So we must persist in doing what is right, even if it doesn't look like it's accomplishing much in the here and now. God sees your fruit. God sees our fruit. God knows what we're trying to do. And this is great encouragement for us, as it was for this audience. But they need to act before the condition changes because they've stayed too long in the basics. And the author is telling them, move on from the basics. Grow, pursue Christ. So the last point is this. Be diligent to the end. Be diligent to the end. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11 and 12 says this. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end. Why? 
so that what you hope for may be fully realized. Verse 12, we do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. He's saying, hey, you you guys, you need to be diligent. Show the same diligence so that you can have full assurance of the hope to the end. How do we do that? Maintain your intensity towards the Lord so that you don't become sluggish and lazy. So he says, imitate those who through what? Faith and perseverance have inherited the promises. We'll find that out in chapter 11 down the road, but it's there. Listen, he says, to the warning about not growing because spiritual disaster is possible and coming back from that spiritual disaster is impossible. And so the text is telling us, and it seems to be saying that if such people have experienced God and his truth and then renounce it and go back to the old ways of sacrifices that we already have the total sacrifice in Jesus, he says, you're closing the door to any possibility of repentance. Literally, he's saying, people like that are saying, I don't need Jesus. What you did on the cross, you're not the Messiah. I renounce you. I reject you. I I can live my own way. But he tells the group that he's talking to, I don't see that. I I don't think you're that group. So he says, press on. Press on in hope. Do not lose your intensity so that you become sluggish. Why? Because growing sluggish is the first step to spiritual disaster. If we lose our intensity, we stop growing spiritually. The medicine for us is to keep growing. Let me just illustrate this and and just make this relevant for TLCC in this season of Lent that we are in. I'll use this as my anchor. There's baptism coming up, end of the month, March 27th. Membership taking place April 24th. There's life groups in this church. There's devotionals that you can read. There's serving the Lord, different possibilities there. It's getting to know people even after the service, right there in a cafe, hang out, get a cup of coffee, get to know people, right? All these ways are to really cultivate growth in the Lord. So as we we, want to be anchored, maybe you're here today, and I don't know, maybe you came from another church, or maybe you got baptized at 12 because it was the the culture of the church. Get baptized when you're 12, right? Or maybe you came out of a different background of faith, and it was a particular time. They wanted you to get baptized. You didn't know what you were doing, but now you do. So get baptized. Be anchored. March 27th, sign up. Boom, I'm going to get baptized. I'm going to be anchored to the Lord. Maybe you've been here for a while. You've been engaged. But you know what? You never said, I'm a member. So make this your home. Call this your home. If this is the place you're getting fed, this is the place that people pray for you, this is the the place that people care for you, make it home. Call it your home. This is the place. This is home for me. TLCC is my home. I'm anchored. Maybe it's a life group. Let me get involved with a life group so I can get to know some people. They could pray for me. I could pray for them. They could be with me through the good times in life and the bad times in life. We could get to know each other. I can be accountable. I'm anchored. I get to know people after service. I just don't bolt after service. Boom. I get to know some people. Hey, what's up? How you doing? Good. I'm anchored. 
I sought to serve because serving says what? I'm serving God. And God has put the fruit in me to what? To bless other people. I'm anchored. I'm reading the devotions that are given online. I'm anchored. But now, the warning for us is this. With all these resources to help you grow, I don't want you to be the group that goes, yeah, baptism. I was going to get to that. Membership. Yeah, yeah, I haven't really made this my home for a while, but uh, it's on my list, Pastor. Life group. Oh, um, I'm busy. I'm working a lot of hours these days. Get to know some people. <laughs> Sunday's my fun day. It's my only day. I got to, you know, have some fun. But what about reading the devotionals? I'm not a morning person. It's really difficult for me. I sleep in late and I got to get to work. Traffic is a mess out there. And, and then you're, you drifted. You're not anchored. You're not where you're supposed to be. And so don't be that group. And I don't think you are that group. So the scripture even gives us that warning, even in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, where the writer says, so we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard, or we may what? Drift from it. Drifting is the first process of going further and further away from God. So let's not be that group. Let's be anchored. This season that is Lent, let's be anchored to God, right? And so how do we do that? How do we taste God's goodness in our life? Well, Scripture says this, that gives us the framework for all of it. Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 16. Jeremiah says, when your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. And then Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Tasting the goodness of God is a matter of experiencing his presence. God shows himself strong in our lives through the promises of Scripture. And like Jeremiah said, the best way to find delight, the best way to find satisfaction, the best way to find nourishment is when we eat his words each and every day. We become so familiar with the Bible and what Scripture teaches us that it defines our identity and guides every response to every situation that we will ever go through in life. And as we commit ourselves to digesting Jesus, we know that he is the bread of life. He's the source for us. He's the giver of it. He's our strength. When we're weak, he carries us. We understand him in that dimension. And so as we have entered this season of Lent, I would like to encourage us to take that step in the pursuit of a more intimate relationship with Jesus. I believe God has given us these grace periods on the calendar to draw closer to. I believe Advent is one of them and Lent's the other. And so my, my encouragement 
my invitation for you is during this season of Lent, the next five and a half weeks, would you commit the first 15 minutes of your day to God? Before anything gets started, would you just say, I'm going to give you God 15 minutes, my first 15. If you go past that 15, God bless you. Why? Because time spent with God is time well spent. As Pastor Ben said, we have so many different resources to get you connected, to, to grow in your relationship with God. One of them is go to tlcc.org slash Lent. There's so many different resources there. The prayer clock is there. You can download it. You can actually put it on your screensaver. It's no excuse for us, right, of not to grow. So go there. You can get the, the Lent resources. Also, go to tlcc.org slash devotional. There's our trimester spiritual growth plan is, is there. So you can get all the devotionals that we do in the book of Hebrews. There's tons of resources there that will keep you connected and growing in the Lord Jesus Christ. May I offer a, a prayer for us today? As the songwriter would say, oh God, oh God, peel back the layers of our heart. We want communion. We want fellowship. We want to be where you are. We're nothing without you. We're barely breathing, God. Your heart is our refuge, O oh Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that you desire to spend time with us and you've called us your friend. God, your word says if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. And so we want to draw near to you. So right now, in the name of Jesus, we ask that you cause us to have this desire to draw near to you above everything else. Help us to have supernatural time management abilities. Help us to see clearly. Help us to never compromise that time. Help us to put your word first in every decision we make to pray continually throughout the day and to look for opportunities to listen to teachings that will build our knowledge and understanding of who you are and what you want in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.